You're listening to The Doctor's Companion, brought to you by InStockTrades.com and BCBService.com. Welcome to another episode of The Doctor's Companion. I'm Scott Corellian. With me today, I have from uh, from Fuzzy Typewriter uh, the, and iFanboy Podcast and Books... Bookrageous. Bookrageous. That's it. I, was, I get it confused with Booksplode because you did that too. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's that yeah. too. But um, yeah, so uh, Paul Montgomery, welcome. Hello. Hi. Nice to be here again. Yes. Uh, as with, with last time, uh, we were talking about the 8th Doctor Big Finish audio stuff, um, specifically the eighth doctor adventures with Lucy Miller. Uh, now we're, we're, we're covering series two, um, which is, which is great. Uh, normally we do background significance for this. Um, but it's, there really isn't any for these. I mean, we kind of covered it last time. Um, so, uh, so let's, uh, let's just jump right in with the, with, with the series two and, and dead London, um, which is back January, 2008. And they, you know, they reference that every once in a while that, you know, the, the, the you know, modern times is 2007 or 2008 usually. Oh, right. To it. Yeah, that's the thing. And we'll, we'll, I'll bring that up with um, another story. Uh, but I think the timing of these are interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Definitely. But uh, yeah. So, okay. So Dead London, um, written by Pat Mills, directed by Barnaby Edwards. Uh, in this story, we actually it's it's a really cool opening adventure just because the doctor and lucy are separated for like half the story mm-hmm. um which i which i think is a really great way to open open a series uh especially since there was like a 20 month wait between series 1 and series 2 um just because uh paul mcgann and, and um um, Sheridan Smith, yeah. Sheridan Smith, thank you. We're both in uh, lots of plays and getting lots of work. Um, so they, As they should. Exactly. Uh, so it took them a little bit to uh, to, to get back out there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so you're waiting 20 months and you get an episode that starts with them not being in the same place. Uh, but essentially, Lucy, who had wanted to go shopping, um, sort of ran off at the shopping center and the doctor left the TARDIS double parked and got... <sighs> arrested um for it and then suddenly he finds himself at first in a modern uh uh, a modern courtroom for Mm -hmm. his parking ticket and then it transforms into like the 1800s and he's sentenced to death for double parking um and and then we flash over to uh to to lucy and you know she is stuck in another time as well and is very confused as to what's going on um and then uh both the doctor and lucy sort of get their own little mini companions for the stories as they're uh investigating what's happening and uh uh, one thing leads to another and you you basically the doctor comments on how um this city, like even though it's changing times and everything, there's something very strange about it because all of the people in the town are like vaguely aware of what's happening. Yeah. Um, 
where they like they when when something happens at one time they're aware of it happening and the other time and it all sort of compensates for it itself um and he's like it's sort of like uh memories and and the way that a mind works uh and he specifically talks about this river that sort of runs through the town and is splitting up all of these uh different sections of the town with different time zones and uh we basically find out that this 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 guy uh named Sabultre um he has like all of these avatars there's like a serial killer that's killing people and essentially he's he's transferred all of these people into this this version of London from all these different times and he's um killing them to and like recreating history to power himself and his species mm-hmm. um and the whole the whole the whole town is actually in his in his mind um which is uh it's weird it's a little weird uh but it's it i think that this is a really fun fun story um it definitely and- it it reminds me in a way of the um the eleven story with uh was it toby jones mm-hmm. and playing sort of the darker side oh yeah of yeah. the doctor and you know so it it all it's all playing out and it's and but also in listening to it and before we get sort of get the reveal of how this is all working. Just the um, the vibe I got was sort of like a very sort of Neil Gaiman kind of story, um, or, a, or even like a China Mayville kind of story. I, yeah. I, I thought of his novel The City in the City, uh, where it's like two cities superimposed over over top of each other, um, and the characters are kind of playing roles, or they had to play by certain rules, even though you know logic is sort of out the window. Um, they're along, you know, they're along uh, playing, you know playing by the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of, yeah, it's like a patchwork London. And that reminded me of, uh, of like Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere, uh, mm-hmm. which is more based on like the, the tube system in London, right? And uh, taking sort of that approach to like a Wizard of Oz or Alice in Wonderland kind of story. Uh, so here you've got, you know, a take on, you know, Spring Heel Jack and Spring Heel Sophie. Um, <laughs> Playing with the mythology and urban legends, I guess would maybe be the best term because it is about the city itself and its history of London uh, through various centuries, and um, came up with some really interesting characters. I was I was really taken with the um, the two uh, sort of mini companions, as you said, the substitute companions mm-hmm. um, in Springheeled Sophie and uh, Yellow Barrel especially, um, there's part of it that feels a little bit like um, like the writer was going in and here's all these interesting you know, bits of trivia that I know about history <laughs> um, and, th- and, and sort of throwing out some, some fun terms, um, you know, like funambulist uh, for a tightrope walker. Um, and the doctor himself even had to parse some of the language in the courtroom scene in the beginning. Like, wait a minute, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And then like going back and looking, okay, right. So we're in this century. So that's, that's a, you know, an idiom or a colloquialism for this and whatever. Um, so it, it, it was, um, it was really colorful and, um, and especially, you know, uh, yellow barrel, very colorful. This is a, you know, woman, uh, around world war one, right. It's like, 1919 or 1970 somewhere yeah. around there and you know she's working with uh, TNT and that discolors the skin 
And, you know, it's an interesting forgotten bit of, of history, um, especially because back then all the photos are in black and white. So you don't really get to notice that stuff. You don't get to see a visual representation of what uh, what those uh, working women went through right. uh, and the uh, the trauma it had uh, just on their complexion. Right. Um, so I thought, it, you know, interesting sort of snapshots of history and London's just a there's a, there's a lot of stories like this where you take London and it's 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 such an old city it's such um, it's so steeped in history and it just stacked upon stacked upon stacked upon itself um, with all these evolving myths and everything and um, even if it was one particular year that the doctor was running around in London it would still be interesting but to throw in all these different time periods butting up against each other is really fascinating. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that the other thing that I'll notice here and then, you know, with the rest of these stories, when you look back at, at series one, you can tell that they've really embraced this new format at mm-hmm. this point. Um, I think even more so than than previously, because like not only not only are the uh, I think the stories I kind, kind of overall better than the last series mm-hmm. um but their their uh their tone and their uh uh like pacing i think is better i think that's i think that's right and i think um you know even though they sort they sort of cheat a little bit at the end here they talk about how this season doesn't have any two-parters technically the last two episodes even though they're not called part one and two are a part one and two yeah um but even then compared to the first season you know the first two episodes, that's a two-parter, and the last two episodes are a two-parter with, you know, the Daleks and the, the Cybermen at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, in this season, um, kind of miraculously, there are no there are no Daleks in, in, in all of season two. There are no Cybermen either. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you get to play with some of the, you know, the, um, the more infrequent um, uh, monsters and uh, recurring characters and... So this is this season also is the first appearance of the uh, or appearance the first audio appearance of the autons, which is kind of yeah. interesting, right? Because you know they're typically very silent. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so uh, so so yeah, thumbs up for Dead London. It was a good one. Yeah, and I uh, and I agree with you. I like that idea that you know at least for a little while these two characters are separated. This could theoretically be like an episode three or an episode four, but in looking at all of the episodes that they had, uh, this really made sense as, you know, an episode one. It should be, it's worth noting that um, they could shuffle them around because there's not a whole lot of continuity, at least, in, you know, uh, up until the end. Right. And then it's it's really important, you know, the placement of those two episodes. But but otherwise, you could you know listen to any of these in whatever order you wanted. But as a season, this is a good place to start. Oh yeah. Uh, all right, uh, Paul, tell us about Max Warp. Max Warp. Uh, so my dad is an auto mechanic, and he's a big <laughs> fan of uh, Top Gear. Um, and so I've seen a lot of uh, Top Gear. And uh, it always seems to to be on when he's in front of a television set, no matter where he is. He always finds it, you know, if, mm-hmm. you know, for, for like a family reunion or something, it's always on. Um, this is a pretty blatant <laughs> pastiche <laughs> of Top Gear set in outer space, basically. And it's a, it's a bit of a caper. Um, we have one character who is apparently test driving uh, a spaceship and crashes through the atmosphere and, and crash lands on a planet. And um, in, in in some of my reading up on this, someone apparently compared it to, you know, it's Top Gear meets, 
you know, like some kind of outer space setting meets uh, like an Agatha Christie murder mystery. Mm -hmm. And so there's a bit of a chamber room kind of um, kind of mystery going on where they have to figure out, okay, who sabotaged this ship? And um, and there's some uh, political machinations, and uh, it's very interesting. But I um, I thought this was a really funny episode, and especially if you're familiar with the source material, um, it's a really like one to one parody oh, yeah. of that show and those huge over the top personalities uh, who are pretty reprehensible and have said some disgusting things. So I kind of enjoy that uh, you know they're getting lambasted here. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's Max Warp. I mean, it even goes so far as to uh, making the the accident that sort of kicks off the story um, with uh, a character with the nickname the Ferret, <laughs> um, who is like you know a blatant stand-in for the hamster on Top Gear, and uh, he was in an accident. The hamster guy just so like you know that was sort of like. Mm-hmm. The 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 beginning of this story was that happened, and then you know he they used that um, to uh, sort of jumpstart this story, uh, which I just think is I think that's so interesting that they went so far as to even go there. Um, but yeah, I love the Agatha Christie of it uh, yeah. a lot. Um, and then on top of the Agatha Christie, like you said, there's there's this threat of war. Um, with the kith because uh the host of the show is blaming the kith for for uh for the uh the problem with the ship and he's like saying it's an act of war like we should go to war um because for some reason he wants to go to war uh and you know it's and it's just it's it's so great because you have you don't just have the Agatha Christie where it's like we have to figure out who did this, mm-hmm. but you have that add-on with the threat of war um, in the background, which it's I think so, is really great. Yeah, it's so hyperbolic. I mean, this is uh, like ostensibly this is a it's a parody of a show about you know like doing automotive reviews mm-hmm. um, and and trashing the personalities a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And if you t- if you take sort of the Clarkson stand-in um, to the you know nth degree, um, and you know all of his you know racial slurs and everything, and and blatant uh, misogyny, and just blatant misogyny, yeah, exa- exactly. There's that too um, uh, with Lucy coming in. Um, you could you could see that guy would probably you know want to go to war with anyone who doesn't necessarily agree with him or people that he doesn't want in his country. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is uh, you know this this great hyperbolic uh, mashup on uh, on two really I mean the, the, you know an Agatha Christie story with it, that's it's such an interesting idea. It could have just been like a throwaway idea. You know, we're going to make fun of these guys, and it's just going to be sort of slapstick. Um, but it has, a, you know, a, a pretty complex political story for a 50-minute little yarn there. So mm-hmm. I was very impressed with this one. I thought this was one of the uh, one of the best of the bunch. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. Um, and it's, it's interesting, too, because, like, you know, we were talking about dates, and I'm going to bring this up in the next story, too, but... This was done in 2007. Um, it was released in like early 2008. So this was being done around the same time as uh, the the Unicorn and the Wasp, um, which was oh sure yeah yeah which was the Russell T Davies uh, era Agatha Christie story. Um, so I just think that that's funny that they sort of they they seem to like have like a, a great minds think alike sort of moment. Um, 
So, uh, so yeah. So I, I really like this, and uh, I love that the uh, the president who has to decide whether or not they're going to go to war or, or with the Kith. Um, that decision is made by this female president um, when the you know misogynist mm-hmm. uh, host of this show is like trying to take that power in his own hands. Um, just like all of that, just like the little things like that. I, I think are really really great choices. Yeah. The other the other interesting undercurrent with this is you know I mentioned that there's not a whole lot of continuity here. If there's any kind of continuity, it's it's a little bit of character continuity in terms of the um, the blossom, blossoming friendship between the Doctor and Lucy. So much of season one um, is about it's sort of like the Lockhorns, you know. It's um, they were a bit you know cranky with each other, and she you know, just wanted to go home and they were sort of bound to each other. He didn't know entirely what to make of her. And then she becomes sort of this curiosity as it goes along. Um, here, this season, there's, they obviously are, you know, um, you know, ribbing each other, but there's a real, uh, a real, f- you know, friendship uh, blooming here. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really fun to watch. It's two people who really like each other and are just sort of discovering that. Um, and they're just they're really having a good time, and I think the the actors um, I think must have you know loved working together because it, the, the chemistry is just huge. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's the chemistry is even huge when they're not directly working together, which is uh, what happens in the Skull of Sobek, I believe. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's and it, like I found that out in the you know when I'm listening to the, the extras on that episode, I was like, wow, really? They weren't even together? Wow, um, crazy chemistry. Uh, all mm-hmm. right, so that brings us to episode three, Brave New World or Brave New Town. Sorry, um, Brave New Town. Uh, this is about uh, a town called uh, Thorrington, which is. Uh, for some reason, trapped in the on the day uh, the first of September, nineteen ninety one, you know, Robin Hood, the the uh, that old like nineteen ninety one Robin Hood is in theaters. And the that. Prince of Thieves. Yeah, the Prince yeah. of Thieves, and uh, and everything I do <laughs> from Brian Adams is like the number one song, um, and they're just like stuck in this world, and uh, the Doctor and and Lucy show up and. You know, obviously, this is this is weird um, that they're stuck in in 1991. They keep reliving the same day over to the point, but but it, it but it's not like a Groundhog Day situation. No, it's it's a thing where the people of the town they drop off like mail and newspapers in the morning, and then they pick them all up at night to start the day over the next day. Um, and it's and you know the doctor and Lucy are like, ah, that's not. Okay, why why would you do that? And they're like, why wouldn't we do that? That's just what we do. And they're like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it's sort of like all the all the townsfolk are kind of like catatonic. They're just sort of going about this like you know rote routine every day. Mm-hmm. If you ask them about it, they're like, yeah, that is kind of weird. You know, <laughs> they're not in like total denial of it, but they're just they're sort of stuck. Yeah, uh, in this sort of clockwork kind of uh, mechanism. Uh, which is appropriate because they're robots. <laughs> yes. So we find out that they are actually all autons, um, which is very interesting considering this came out in 2008 and we had never seen autons that were just like regular people. Um, I think the first time we ever actually get an appearance of them in the in the show is uh, the uh, two-parter that ends series five. 
um, that's that's the first time that we ever get autons mm-hmm. that you know are actually people. Um, so it's interesting that audio actually did it first. I kind of love that. Um, so yeah, so you figure out that they're they're autons, and that what happened was uh, a the nesting consciousness that's underground got covered by this bunker. So the messages from the nesting conscious that gives them their orders um, isn't around; like they can't hear it. So they just keep repeating their previous or- orders over and over again because they don't know what else to do. Um, and then, you know, somebody opens the bunker, so the nesting consciousness gets out and then they start taking orders and they're like, okay, so I guess we should continue our invasion thing. Right. Um, and then, you know, the doctor stops the nesting consciousness, uh, shuts it down. And then now they, they all have sort of freedom to do whatever they want and be whoever they want. Um, but meanwhile, there's, there's like a, a military presence. So they're, they're on an island off of Uzbekistan, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And so it's like it's designed, but it but it looks like you know a, a typical England seaside town right. is recreated, at, you know, during the Cold War, I guess, as just sort of a staging ground. Right. And it just so happens that when the Doctor and Lucy appear there, the you know Uzbekistan you know army sort of moves in. Like, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> what's happening here? And uh, it's very like I, uh, it's it's like a Twilight Zone episode sort of. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's that, uh, like you said, when you on paper, you know, re- you know, reliving the same day over and over again. It's it's not the it's not the Groundhog's Day or Edge of Tomorrow, uh, Edge of Tomorrow thing, right? Or uh, or Source Code or anything like that. Right. It's they figure out what's going on relatively quickly, mm-hmm. and so it's it's not a bunch of um, going through the motions of oh this is exactly you know we experienced the same thing the other day. It's a different structure uh, in terms of the narrative, um, and and I thought that was cool. And mm-hmm. um, when you realize that it's like it's it's this sort of fake town, and and then when you realize that like you know people's hands are turning into guns and i love lucy's reaction to it she seems so much so many weird things so far mm-hmm. she's like oh you have a, you know like a interesting trick up your sleeve or something like that um and just it sort of takes it at face value and doesn't <laughs> yeah. freak out too much um I, I thought that was that was pretty great um yeah this is a uh, man it's, it's when you sort of break down everything that's going on and when you throw in the the uzbekistan stuff it, it's uh pretty wacky idea oh yeah um, when i looked at the cover for this I was like oh they're going to like a western town or something because <laughs> all, like. all the yellows and stuff but then if you look in close there's like a shopping cart sitting there in the middle of the uh, town square or whatever and um yeah it's, it's an interesting story it is i i quite like it really um just because of it takes that sort of uh promise of a groundhog day sort of story and then just flips it on its head which i think mm-hmm. is really great yeah, you think you know the weird thing that's going on here, but there's like seven other weird things that happen <laughs> yeah. too. And it has an ambiguous ending, which is great because they just they just jet out of there and they don't mm. really know what's going to happen to those people. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah, uh, I like that a lot. That it's it can sort of live on in your imagination. Right. Um, all right. So tell us about uh, the Skull Sobek and the Crocodilians. <laughs> <laughs> April two thousand eight. Uh, Mark Platt. Skull of Sobek. Uh, this has some interesting world building in it, and we're, we've been talking about how how they 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 seem to have um, found a rhythm, found their groove with the fifty minute episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just a just a one episode thing, not you know into multi parts. This one, I feel like 
could have benefited from, you know, a traditional monthly, you know, four-parter. I think so you're that, right. Yeah. Because I think there's so much going on here. That, uh, there's a lot of to, world building. There, it is a lot of world building. Um, it's So it's a desert planet, but every so often it gets, you know, bathed with this, you know, aquatic sort of fauna. And there's like it's like a it's like a Nile Basin kind of vibe with the crocodilians and everything, and you know the um, the priestesses and and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought back to season one with um, was it Immortal Beloved where they have the sort of takeoff on uh, either Greek or Roman mythology. Yeah. And having uh, this this one guy pose as as a god basically and having a, uh, setting up this hierarchy system right. uh, with his clones. Right. And um, this is sort of the the takeoff on Egyptian mythology, playing into you know science fiction and and this other otherworldly planet. Plus, you get this weird, um, so like that stuff that could work in a you know. So far, we're all right for a fifty minute episode, but then you get into this thing with you know Lucy and the Doctor, you know, and the possession by these um, ancient you know spirits, these ancient forces that are at each other's throats. Um, which took me back to sort of like the weird spiritualism stuff in Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Like I got that kind of vibe from it. And that I think it could use a little bit more real estate to, to play with. I also uh, got a uh, I Only Have Eyes for You vibe from it, mm. um, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode. Yep. Uh, just that that repeat of history and, and, and whatnot. Yeah, um, that's a good call. Yeah. 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 It's – um. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff here, but I there think, is. I think ultimately, though, it sort of becomes the weakest of the season for me, just because. Um, well, for two reasons: one, because, like you said, I think it needs more real estate to do what it's trying to do, um, and and two, because I I know that Mark Platt as a writer is capable of a lot more than he's given here, because mm-hmm. um, he's typically he typically does four parters. Um, in fact, he did the. Uh, Spare Parts, which is a, a Fifth Doctor audio uh, series about the um, introduction of the uh, – or the origin of the Cybermen, which they yeah. then remade into the two-parter from uh, Series 2. Um, the, which uh, if, if a lot of you know a lot of big Finnish fans, if they're going to recommend – like if you listen to five of these, Spare Parts is inevitably going to be in there. Right, exactly. So Mark Platt is a really good one. It's just it's and I was I was really excited to re-listen to this and I was like, oh right, the crocodile one. I was like, was <laughs> this really good? And then I was listening to it, I was like, yeah, it was it's got a lot of good stuff in it. It's just man, it needed longer than fifty minutes. Yeah, it it's uh, it it's really interesting. And I like the idea of, you know, Lucy being really sort of unnerved by the crocodiles. And even though she's mm-hmm. like she runs into all these different monsters so far, there's one sort of, you know, um, sort of base fear right from childhood and when they throw in sort of the um you know the peter pan and you know the crocodile kind of that kind of imagery mm-hmm. um i like that stuff a lot oh yeah so if you know either they've got to scale it down a little bit or or give it more room to let it live and and i i think having listened to this again uh, it's it's I think the best the better way to go would be a four parter rather yeah. than getting because there's so much stuff that I was like what what do you get rid of right you know yeah because it's all really cool 
you don't you don't want to you don't want to get rid of any of it but it just needs more space to breathe because um, it's a bunch of ideas being thrown at you and you can barely comprehend it all by the, the time other, you get to the end yeah and the other thing i was thinking like this could be really insufferable if it were like a like a five and nissa story or something like like oh yeah being like having lucy there um it really helps she's she, the levity is so important and, oh yeah and the chemistry between those two you know and it's not it's not you know like a like a ten and rose thing where they're in love with each other it's just like these two people really like each other mm -hmm. um and enjoy each other's company and when they're apart they're worried about the other one mm -hmm. it's uh, much more of a, a a boss employee or or uh or like a like a like a writer and their assistant sort of like a his girl uh, friday of kind of thing yeah and they, sort and of they like have that. that and they have that you know sort of like gentle flirtation too that's that's mm -hmm. nice that's just um uh there's there's nothing sexual about it whatsoever and they don't even joke about that stuff it's just like th this is just like a you know a great uh set of friends male and female oh yeah absolutely uh, all right. So before we get into the back half of the of the series, uh, I want to remind everybody that we're sponsored by DCBService.com, which is the site that lets you pre-order all your monthly comic books and collectibles at discount your local comic book shop. Just can't compete with. Use DCBS to place your orders two months in advance and get discounts of 40% off and special discounts up to 50% off. So place an order as big or small as you like. And ship monthly, bi-weekly, or weekly with flat rate shipping. Only $6.95 every time an order goes out. So thanks to DCBService.com. Go there, uh, check the the other publishers for Titan because they're the ones with the uh, the Doctor Who license now. So um, they are going to start putting out new new books for the tenth, new ongoing books with the tenth, eleventh, and uh, and now the twelfth Doctor. Um, the, and the tenth and eleventh Doctor. What's great about them is they are actually going to have new. Uh, comic book exclusive companions. That's um, fun. Yeah, which is something that IDW never did. Um, but speaking of IDW, InStockTrades.com is their sister site where you can purchase any hardcover or paperback graphic novel collection that's currently in print at massive discounts of 25 to 45% off. If that's not good enough for you, check back on Wednesdays for new release specials of 50% off every single week. And remember, all orders over $50 get free shipping. So if you don't have Amazon Prime, like IST is the way to go. Um, just, you know, stock up and, and get $50, uh, and then get the free shipping. Um, and IDW, you know, they, they lost their Doctor Who license. So all of their Doctor Who books that they have right now, that's all they're going to have. They can't reprint any of it. Um, so, so go to IST. If you want all of that stuff, go to instocktrades.com and, uh, order all of the, all of the Doctor Who stuff that you can from IDW because, um, who knows when, Titan will get around to reprinting any of that stuff. So uh, thanks to InStockTrades.com for sponsoring the show. Uh, all right. So Grand Theft Cosmos. Um, this is the return of the Headhunter. Uh, it's written by, by uh, Eddie Robson. This is the return of the Headhunter and her new, uh, her new companion, um, Karen, uh, who was introduced in... Uh, in uh, Human Resources. Human right? Resources, that's it. The, uh, the, the series finale of uh, Series 1. Um, and uh, basically what's, what's, what's so great about this is uh, they, they run into them on a train, figure out that they're, they're there to steal this black diamond that has um, these, uh, these crazy powers. 
and uh, the doctor is just like, okay, well, we need to get. She's she's like, we have to stop them from stealing it. And she's like, okay, he's like, okay, you're right, but we also can't let anyone else have it. So uh, we need to do more than stop them from stealing it. We actually have to steal it ourselves. Um, so what you have are these two, basically these two competing duos, uh, on like a on a caper, like yes. <laughs> just. They're just trying to steal this diamond. You yeah, know. we're so we're yeah, and we're and we're. Uh, I don't think you mentioned we're in nineteenth century Sweden. Yes, it was yes. just a fun setting. And when I heard Grand Theft Cosmos, I was thinking like, is it an outer space train or like? And then you and then you get into it and like, okay, so we're actually this is you know an historical, so that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got, you know, you've you've got multiple uh, groups uh, vying for this thing, and it's so madcap and fun and. Uh, the the moment you talked about where the doctor basically tells Lucy, well, we've got to steal too, and and she's like, you know, it, it's you know it's moral or whatever, but you know we're still stealing, and that's sort of when I I came to the the realization of sort of what the motif for this this whole series is, it's uh, these two being thick as thieves, mm-hmm. and there's so they've got this great Bonnie and Clyde thing going in this episode, and which makes this one of my two favorites of the season oh yeah um me and too. uh yeah so uh it, it just reminded me of um like a arsene lupin uh kind of just like um roguish thief you know the lovable thief kind of story uh and i i love the stuff with um with the headhunter and karen um and programming you know the mind control oh yeah on the guard and, and you know making him say cream cheese instead of I obey. <laughs> she's like, why does he say? Why do they always say I obey? And she's like, well, that's just the default setting, and you can switch it around and you know. And she's like, make it like you can, you can make him say anything. She's like, yeah, check this out. And she just hits a bunch of buttons, and it's, he just keeps saying cream cheese. And then she starts giving him this long order, you know, basically like a like a hypnotist saying, I want you to do this, 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 and this. And when I say Elvis Presley. Um, which is safe because it's the 19th century, so it's unlikely that anyone's going to say Elvis Presley other than these people. Right. Um, then he'll, you know, uh, you know, wake up and, and, and break out of it, and I'm just waiting for the moment when he replies, cream cheese. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just fun. And I also, I, I loved, um, there, there's just some great lines in this one. I just thought it was really funny. Like, uh, when the doctor is talking to Lucy about, you know, the thievery, and she's, and she's talking about Robin Hood, and she says, "Yo, you were probably at his wedding." And he says, "Oh, Robin, he wasn't the Marian kind." I love that joke. <laughs> That's you can always count on uh, the Eighth Doctor for puns. He was he was a fan of them. Can't get enough. <laughs> it's the best. And just just and even just like little things like the um, the uh, the MacGuffin of this, the Black Diamond, is just it's called the Black Diamond of Claudio Tardelli, like. Oh, that's so good! And and correct me if I'm wrong. This is a this this is a character that never appeared in like classic. No, but you know, this they is just an original creation. A, but they pretend that yeah, there's a there's a history there, which I love. Oh, it's so good. Um, yeah, no, it's that's uh, it's great. And and Lucy um, pretending to be posh was fantastic. Yeah, it's a it's a great Sheridan Smith um, performance in this one. I mean, they all are, but here she gets a lot of range where she's playing you know a character. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Or playing a character, playing another character—that's right. that's tricky. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, all right, so that's that's a really great one. Uh, tell us about the Zygon who fell to Earth. 
My other favorite one yep, for the season. Okay, The Zagon Who Fell to Earth, which, again, a great title and hearkening back to uh, the horror of glam rock. And which was one no- that you and I weren't hot on. Like, right. That's what's so I'm, great about it is like, it's fine, but it's worth it because it gave us this, which is mm-hmm. a phenomenal sequel. I, yeah, I really liked the, uh, the concept behind that. Um, but just in just in, in terms of execution and the the story that was there, I liked what it set up and sort of it it's really it set up the, the promise of this one, um, which is sort of the sequel that you never knew you wanted, which is right. that, that's so that's that's fun. Um, so basically, uh, I love the Zygon, <laughs> I love the Zygon design, and this is just such a cool idea. When I read the when I was before I. I got into this season and just started listening to episodes i looked at all the different episodes and this is the one that i was really looking forward to getting to and when i got there it totally delivered so we're in sort of the lakes region um where um where lucy's uh aunt pat uh lives and runs like a like a bed and breakfast kind of deal right and Mm -hmm. there's talk of this sort of sea monster in the local lake um, and she li- and and uh, Pat lives with her uh, her husband since this is eighty four. This takes place. Yes. Okay. And they've been married since seventy nine. And we find out pretty early that uh, that her husband Trevor, uh, uh, believed to be uh, a former pop star, um, is actually a Zygon in hiding, and he turns out to be the good Zygon. Uh, and his um, his ne'er do well. Um, it's sort of it's, you know it's it, it, it didn't occur to me until just now, but it's kind of like Third Rock from the Sun, and you've got these oh, aliens yeah. hiding in human bodies, and they all have different yeah. roles. And he's basically like the John Lithgow character because he's like the leader, but he's turned on them because he's because he fell in love. Yeah, and and the backstory behind it, where the the, the, the exposition is kind of bizarre, where they explain that they got. Jobs, the, Z- the Zagan went and, you know, they put on their human costumes basically. And they're, so how does this work? They have a printer. Mm-hmm. It's something called a printer that they, they take on the they, appearance they put somebody of somebody in there. Being. Yeah. Yeah. They, they put they, someone in there and then, so that creates what, like a hologram or something or like it? Uh, sort of. It, I mean, yeah. I've, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's basically what it is. I, I think it's more or- organic than a, just a hologram. So they have to, to so basically, the, 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 they have to abduct a human being and right. put them in like cryo sleep. Right. And, and they can stay down in like bunker. Them as yeah. long as they don't turn back into a Zygon. Right. That's why they have to keep them in the printer. Um, right. So, and I just love that it's a printer. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> funny. This is in these holding cells. So, while, so they've taken on these human forms and uh, uh, Mims and what were their names? They had great names. Mims and Ertak? Or it was like Mervin was like the human name. Oh, yeah. Um, and so anyways, and they, they get, yeah, they get jobs uh, as like record executives. <laughs> And their goal is to like accelerate um, like human industry to destroy the ozone layer, uh, so they can create a planet that's warmer and, and more habitable for Zygons. As they basically the, the goal is they want to take over the planet, but they want it to be, you know, their form of ecosystem that they like. Um, and. <laughs> <laughs> and they're talking about like the the you know the records that they're making because again this is eighty four, um, they're so they're making vinyl um, releases an invisible 
toxin that goes into the air and helps accelerate the destruction of the ozone <laughs> and it's just so ridiculous that's um, why they need the number one hits but and it's and so it's it just sounds so camp and ridiculous but i <laughs> um but i loved it um and you can tell that uh Mager's, uh just really uh is, is having so much fun here mm-hmm. and you know like tongue-in-cheek and and he talks about um uh <laughs> I can't talk about it without laughing it's just so funny um the, the so what the creature that they suckle on that's living in the lake yeah i forget what the the creature is called but uh, so like the I, the, I the, the, the way that their biology works there's this this larger creature that they suckle on for nourishment and the great fun of this episode as an audio drama is that the sound effects are so gross <laughs> and just you're hearing one of these one of these aliens go from human form into their zygon form and suckle at the the breast of this giant lake creature and you're hearing this and and Lucy's watching from the bushes like oh my god what are they doing and then just the way he's describing like in graphic detail what he's doing and then later on you have um, Aunt, Auntie Pat um, is getting this um, this crystalline thing, this necklace that her husband gave her, ripped off of her, and it just sounds like flesh rending. It's the most disgusting Ugh. noise I've ever heard on a big Finnish audio. Oh, it's rough. <laughs> it's just, I was like, oh, I can't believe that. Like, and you can, I mean, that's it. Sounds like what that would sound like. <laughs> I can't if you if you if you want to even imagine that, but. But yeah, and then uh, and then later, like the Zygons also like sting each other with their tentacles, and uh, that's even just like gross and biological sounding. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really like the uh, the foley you know stuff, the foley work on this the yeah. sound effect. It was really well done, and and you know, and just as as uh, you know, we talked about um, uh, uh, the skull uh, episode, the 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 crocodilians, um, you know, not having. Not not really using uh, the fifty minutes in its in the in the best way, um, mm-hmm. and maybe not being a story that's best suited for a fifty minute. This is like oh, it's just a perfect use of the fifty minutes. Like I think so too. <clears throat> the story itself, like really the plot, is very simple. You know, like the the Zygons come back and they're like, "Hey, General, uh, we kind of need you because we had a number one song again, so things are things are heating up and." you know literally um, and uh and he's like you know i'm i'm in love now so and they're like oh that's gross um he's like but seriously you should probably come back um and and that's and that's pretty much it and then you know you get the the end with the with the anti-pat stuff um which i'm sure we'll talk about in just a sec but uh, the story itself, I mean, the plot is very simple, very simple. So what this story, all this story is really is character yes. across the board, um, which is so good. And again, Lucy gets to, to do some um, very good acting in this where she has to pretend to be a Zygon. Um, a and, Zygon pretending to be Lucy. Right, yeah. a Zygon pretending to be Lucy, which is which is uh, so good because she starts out like okay obviously she's a zygon come on guys like come mm-hmm. on she's like not she's not saying any conjunctions like it's it's it, it, she's obviously an alien um but then as it goes on like the next few scenes she becomes more and more like lucy to the point where you almost forget until she yells at the doctor um and says something mm-hmm. calls him time lord that's right yeah um 
And then you're like, oh, right, she's a Zygon. Um, so, like, just that just that little thing that Sheridan Smith put into that, um, to the acting of, of being a Zygon, being Lucy Miller, um, how the Zygon was learning how to better be Lucy Miller, I, I thought I was really impressed with that as an acting choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, just I, overall, it's a very character-centric story, which is so good. So and so good. you get you get, so you get a scene towards the beginning where they they meet up with Auntie Pat and she she of course remembers them from ten years ago from the horror of Glamrock and which I'm sure that's what she calls it in her diary uh, that one <laughs> night the horror of Glamrock um, <laughs> so she's like it's been ten years and it's an interesting setup because she knows that they're time travelers and she knows that this is her niece who hasn't even been born yet um, right. and Lucy has the you know this memory of you know growing up with her aunt being kind of a loser and she like you know was was alone and didn't have much of a life mm-hmm. and so when you reach the end where aunt pat has died um and lucy isn't in lucy just hears about this um, from which the I'm doctor, just, which I'm just rubbing my collarbone, just thinking about. Oh <laughs> God, yeah. And so the and but the but the conversation that doctor has about, you know, she says, well, it can't because, you know, how you know that would the like, time wouldn't work. Like you know, my aunt Pat needs to be there when I'm an adult, or else like there's going to be this you know paradox or something. And and the, it's a very uh, it's a really poignant idea that the doctor's like, well she didn't have that much there wasn't much of a ripple effect you know she uh, you know she was just she, sort of there she was just sort of there she didn't she lived sort of you know on she her own resources and yeah. unremarkable yeah and so it didn't cause great change in the world and that's just heartbreaking oh yeah and so you so you think that you know they've set up this pretty reasonable excuse for how this could work in terms of the chronology of the story that she might not be missed and so time could be changed but then it turns out that trevor uh the zygon survived and he has sort of like one last ditch thing he can do is if he can you know remember this woman that he's loved and he doesn't really need a printer for that he can just take on her shape as long as he doesn't go back to zygon form or try to appear like anyone else he can live a few more decades and sort of honor her memory mm-hmm. and it's a little bit wonky you know like science wise you know right. but it all is and I mean, it comes from a, a really grounded emotional place which i like right that's yeah that's yeah. that's why it works is because that character is so devoted you know and his whole arc is about that he made this choice to be you know, not a world conqueror and just to settle down with this woman because he fell in love with her. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's sort of this great romantic gesture that he's going to, you know, to be a living memorial for the love of his life. Right. And live that unremarkable life that um, Lucy knows as her Auntie Pat. Right. Um, which is, which, but, uh, which is a, just a remarkable act, you know. Mm-hmm. Because they they frame it that it's like it's a major sacrifice that a Zygon would sacrifice themselves by being one form. Like they, they, they sort of play it up that a Zygon like likes to change forms and 
um, you know, could he could ostensibly have lived longer, you know, I guess. Right. So he's sort of like, I'm going to be this, and this is sort of my he's sentencing himself to this unremarkable life. Right. Yeah. Um, it's a really bittersweet ending because, you know, uh, we don't ever even see Lucy finding out that her, her uh, antipad is alive or, you know, mm-hmm. air quotes alive um, because the doctor – the doctor's, you know, she goes to to bed to sort of like sleep off this horrible news and this realization that her life with her antipat didn't actually isn't isn't actually real anymore except to her and she's like going to sleep um, and kind of sleep it off and then that's when all of this revelation with Trevor ha- happens and the doctor just decides like you know I, I'm not going to tell her like I'm not going to tell Lucy that you're not actually her auntie pat mm-hmm. we're just going to keep it a secret and she's going to wake up in the morning and see her auntie pat and everything will be fine um and of course this is setting up uh something later in this mm-hmm. series of series um that uh that really this is like the beginning of a wedge between these two characters um but oh it's such a good episode it's such yeah. a good episode this is my uh this is my favorite one. Oh yeah mine too definitely um, which brings us to the, uh, two part, uh, series finale of series two, um, beginning with, uh, sisters of the flame, which is written by Nicholas Briggs as is the finale. Um, now, uh, have you seen the brain of Morbius, Paul? No, I, I sort of read about it afterwards. Cause like, what's going on with this Morbius guy? And then okay. I saw the crazy pictures of the costume. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, the brain of Morbius, um, I would, I would recommend, uh, checking it out. Cause I, for like, I think more than a lot of, there's like a handful of classic who stories that I can watch and be like, can point to and say, yeah, that pretty much holds up. I mean, outside of the crazy costume, the story itself holds up quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I, I'd recommend it. It's actually pretty fun. It's just it's a, a fourth story. doctor story. Yeah. Fourth doctor. It's, uh, it's in the early years. So it's fourth doctor and, uh, Sarah Jane Smith. Um, and it's, cool. uh, it's kind of a Frankenstein story. It's really fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, so this is a sequel to the brain of Morbius. Um, and, and sort of, uh, sort of begins, this series of Lucy Miller stories, um, doing this thing where they bring back, uh, for, for the first time, they bring back a, a, a major or popular villain from, um, classic who, uh, and, uh, and, and do a finale around them. Um, cause they took care of like the mainstays with the Daleks and the Cybermen last season. And now they're starting to do sort of like the more minor ones. Um, so like this season we have Morbius and I believe next season is, uh, the, the time meddler i think i think that's mm-hmm. season three um so uh so so what we have here is a dr light episode um w- in which uh lucy gets arrested by a uh a, like a walking centipede 10 um, foot tall centipede yeah mm. um and it uh, named uh named uh well what, what is his name is a trail detective i forget his name Rosto? Rosto, that's right. Um, played by Alexander Sidis, who's Julian Bashir uh, <laughs> from DS9. Really, really great. Oh, it's so good. Uh, so you get just like this collection of scenes where, where he is uh, questioning Lucy. And it's so cool because he's a 10-foot-tall centipede. 
And Lucy doesn't trust him because he looks like a monster. So she's being kind of racist. Um, and, and just like making assumptions that he's bad and yada yada. Um, and he has a voice box that, you know, where the, uh, Alexander Sidis's voice comes out of. Um, but you can hear like the centipede noises, like the mandibles in the background. Oh. In the background. Oh, what so it cool. sounds like is when you're talking to somebody and their um like their mouth is dry mm-hmm. and like their lips are smacking a bit. It's this really subtle thing. So he's not doing like a monster voice. He's doing he's doing very like um kind of semi monotone a little. Yeah, semi monotone, like a very sort of clinical, um, mild kind of voice mm-hmm. and you know, enunciating everything and um very mild manner. <laughs> It'd be and so, like, and it, it's not vo- even like, and it's not even like a Stephen Hawking like robotic voice either. No, it's like it'd be box. like if uh, if there was an audio book of a textbook. That's yeah. what I would imagine it would sound like. Um, and it's oh, it's so it's 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 a really good use of the medium. I think to create uh-huh. a character, um, it's really really good. And, so he's got this really me- you know this mellow uh, comforting voice, oh, yeah. but then the mandibles in the background it's just it's like it's just kind of unnerving, and you're thinking so you're always conscious that there's a centipede that's <laughs> making these noises. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Straxus shows up. The, t- the, st- the time lord from uh, last season he shows up and he's like oh you where's the doctor and she's like oh he's 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 i don't know i i don't know what's going on and he's just like okay well bye <laughs> and just <laughs> leaves her and goes back to gallifrey because he has a time ring which is just like a, basically a tardis ring essentially mm-hmm. um and and then he goes back to gallifrey and they're just like what are you doing you can't be here there we got there, there's something crazy happening and we need the doctor he's like oh but i really can't stand her <laughs> we don't care <laughs> um so he has to go back to to find her again but meanwhile lucy's going on this whole adventure where this uh he she she asked for a a human detective to question her because she can't stand to look at uh at roscoe and uh and uh, and so like this woman shows up and she's like, oh, okay, yeah, come with me. And, you know, I believe your story and, and we'll go and we'll, we'll go, you know, figure out what's going on and we'll find your friend and we'll clear your name and yada, yada. And, uh, she gets on the ship with her and it turns out that this detective isn't a real detective and Rosto comes and saves her. Um, because really she is, uh, a, a sister of the sisterhood of Karn, um, who is this, uh, like sort of cult from, um, the planet Karn, which is from the brain of Morbius. And they were there to sort of like fight Morbius. Essentially. They're like the anti Morbius, uh, group. And, uh, and, and so, you know, they're like, okay, we need to kill any time Lords, um, including their, their friends, because, you know, they should just go too. you know, mm-hmm. whatever. It doesn't matter. Kill them all. Um, let's just clean house. And we don't really know why until we find out that, um, as, as, uh, as Lucy puts it, they're trying to Jurassic Park Morbius, um, that was great. Oh, it's so it's such a perfect example. And originally, the doctor is just like going along with this, and then he's like, "Wait a minute, what? What's Jurassic Park?" <laughs> yeah, Jurassic Park. Um, so essentially, what uh, this this other group called the Cult of Morbius is attempting to do, um, led by this this guy named uh, Zarodniks, um, he's trying to resurrect 
uh, Morbius by taking Morbius's DNA and mixing it with the DNA of another Time Lord and and basically resurrecting him that way, um, in the way that you know use Dino DNA and uh, frogs, frogs right yeah, yeah. in Jurassic Park. Um, so they're trying to he's trying to Jurassic Park Morbius back using um, Straxus and. It's it's sort of like he's like taking like stem cells from Strax as like continually has to give him these feedings, right? Or else he goes, yeah, yeah. And it's like it's such a sci-fi idea, yeah. Um, um, just for him to 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 maintain composure because uh, because otherwise the 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 newly resurrected Morbius is, you know, you know, just this. Um, like kingly kind of um they well they refer to him as sort of like a napoleon kind of character right so right like he's got he's got this regal bearing to him and and but even though he's like mega mega maniacal but the, i i kind of laughed when and this is more going into the next episode but um i i, I kind of laughed when he would have his like breakdowns and was like i need another you know you know dna symbol. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um, so, so Morbius is resurrected at the end and he, he like gives a speech and he's just like, up, oh, I'm back. So you guys know what that means. Um, I've got this cult and everything and it's, it's going to be awesome. I want to rule the universe. It's going to be great. And who, first off, who trusts a guy named Morbius? It's just an evil name. Oh, it's such an evil name. <laughs> um, I, it just, it, oh, it's, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing though with, with, uh, Dr. Who, I mean, there's no there's there there tends to be very few uh sweet sounding villain names in mm-hmm. Doctor Who. They always sound just horribly horrible. But at least evil. like sometimes those are like assumed names. Like they 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 put on those names like you know like the master I'm I'm presuming is sort of like a you know that's a mantle that mm-hmm. you know and uh well, that's getting into like what are the real names of the Time Lords and stuff, and that that gets like complicated. But right. but yeah, but but the, like this guy it just it occurs to me like oh he's like the General Zod of Gallifrey, right? He's like really militaristic, right? Like the whole idea is that like the Time Lords were really like um, they really believed. And I keep going into like other franchises. They really believe in like the Prime Directive, like don't mess with stuff. Mm-hmm. And and then he's like, no, let's like use all our crazy time powers and conquer everything. Right. So my name's Morbius, and that's what I'm supposed to think. <laughs> right. So. Exactly. He's sort of uh, an extreme version of, uh, of of Rassilon, who is also like that, but is content in you know staying on Gallifrey and mm-hmm. ruling with an iron fist. Whereas Morbius is like, I'd rather, you know, spread our wings and conquer other planets too, because. Sometimes you want a place to vacation. Um, and so, uh, so you know, he's resurrected at the end. He has this whole speech. And the doctor, you know, of course, like, I'm going to stop you. Um, and then that brings us to uh, the vengeance of Morbius, which uh, is uh, the really interesting thing, I think, about vengeance of Morbius that I always forget is that the doctor and Lucy, like, show up in the TARDIS on Gallifrey. And it's been 10 years of... Yeah. Morbius ruling the cosmos to the point where he's kind of just sick of it. He's like, this is going to be so cool. Then flash to 10 years later, he was like, I was less cool than I thought it would be. Yeah. Which is like, that's a, I don't know. That's a cool idea, but, and I'm not going back to the, the theory that it needs like four episodes, but I think it needs space. Like, uh, I feel like this could have developed over a series. I think so too. 
I think like, I think you could have ended this series with Morbius being back and then spent all of the next series with him sort of being in the background and expanding his reign. Right. Um, because the effect here is just that, oh, this is really terrible. Morbius right. is back and then he's been back for a while. This continues to be terrible. We've got to stop this guy. Right. But I, I, I feel like I would have liked more of just the character being terrible instead of people saying that you know instead of it just being this you know um encroaching dread right and then the new regime of of evil um you know i there there needs to be a little bit of time spent i I like the idea of a jump Mm -hmm. you know and and allow that you know to gestate and to really become an empire instead of just like a small little um you know cult following right like to actually become this this big thing this big force in in the cosmos but um but yeah i, I just feel like it's to, to, so the result is if you look at this as you know a two-parter um the ending feels kind of rushed right that we didn't get a whole lot of time to spend with this character at the top of his game right even as a three-parter, I think the story would have been better. Um, even yeah. like like a three-parter in the style of, uh, and, you know, we the master story, the 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 Saxon arc, you right. know, that started with Utopia, which was like this weird backdoor part one to a three-part finale. Um, mm-hmm. That could have been Sisters of the Flame. This as it could have been like a Utopia, and as it stands, it is sort of like Utopia. Um, except that Vengeance and Morbius isn't a two-part episode, um, and I feel and that, like, and that's that, but that's a, that's a good comparison too because in those TV episodes, I liked the beginnings of that. I liked seeding it. I liked mm-hmm. you know the uh, Derek Jacobi stuff, um, and just like building to that. Oh my God, he's the master! You know that that stuff is is really fun, right? Um. And they give it sort of time to to realize what it is. And, and I, of these two, I prefer the first part. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe it's just the, the Rosto character. And, yeah. Oh, that's a big part of it, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And so the Rosto kind of goes out like a chump in this one. Yeah, he does. That's sad. I mean, he sacrifices himself, but right. it didn't feel entirely Rosto to me. <laughs> no, no, it didn't. It felt like they just wanted to get him out of there, which I'm like, ah. It would have been so great if he had just become a third companion next season. <laughs> that would have been pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> I would have enjoyed that quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so then we have this uh, this weird Final Problem-esque ending. Um, in, yeah. <laughs> in which... It's like Reich back falls, yeah. Yeah. Um, in, which, uh, in which the Doctor and, and Morbius <laughs> fall off a cliff together. Um, and, uh, and Lucy's like, oh... Oh no! <laughs> um, right. And then gets, Your reaction was a little weird. Yeah, and then gets sent home, uh, and then you get the credits, and then the post post credits. Yeah. yeah, you get a post credit scene with uh, uh, Lucy being confronted by the headhunter, and you're like, oh, what does that mean? And we won't find out until series three. But uh, you know, I, I I'm with you. I think this is a this is a weak finale, especially with like the great buildup we get in in Sisters of the Flame. Um, mm-hmm. I think that I don't think Vengeance of Morbius uh, pays it off quite as well as I would have liked. Yeah, and I mean, and you know, you listen to that, you know, and you get the, the the fun post credit scene, and then they, you know, if you keep listening for the the extras and and some of the interview stuff that they're doing, 
And they talk to the actor who played Morbius, and he talks about it being such a kind of broad, kind of bwahaha kind of character, and it's very. T- and he did a good job with it, mm-hmm. with with what you know, what little stuff he had to work with. But um, and not that the stuff that he had was all that bad. It's just there wasn't enough of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he did his best work with the the sort of the ten years later uh, tired nine to five conqueror Morbius. Yeah. Yeah, um, that was interesting. There's a, there's a more nuance there than yeah. just the big bad showing up. Right. Um, give me your Time Lord stem cells. <laughs> yeah. Feed me. Um, that kind of thing. So what to have the lackadaisical kind of character later? That that that's that's a fun wrinkle. But but yeah. And so I like. It's not like oh, it's you know Morbius. What a lame character. No, I think you could. I think there's room to do interesting things with Morbius, but. Um, this just there there wasn't the real estate there to, to right. do it. Yeah, I mean they really treat Morbius as a setting more than a than a character. Um, mm. He's he's sort of you know the, in the way that like zombies are in The Walking Dead, he's just sort of yeah. there. <laughs> so well, he's a force of nature, right? Um, which is uh, yeah, it's I guess that's a way to do a villain, uh, but it's not it's certainly not the most interesting way um, for like a single character. So, yeah. So, I mean, and we we sort of you know we liked the the wacky stories, mm-hmm. um, and that plays to this kind of doctor. Although, you know, m- you know, without spoiling anything, moving ahead, these characters, uh, you know, and this this dynamic, um, and even these writers, um, can do great, really dramatic stories that rank among my top. Not even just Big Finish, but Doctor Who stories. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, when this whole this you know range of uh, Eighth Doctor adventures wraps up, and then going into Dark Eyes, there's th- th- there's some really heavy stuff, and it really plays. Oh yeah. Um, so there's there is a versatility to these characters and their relationship, and it builds over time. Um, this just I I, just, I I don't I don't think it got the development that it needed. Need another draft or something. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I think, and you know, that's, that's one of those things where, you know, this, this is the reason why, um, script editors in classic who were not allowed to write episodes is because who's going to edit them. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and so, and now, but now we live in a, in a world of showrunners, which is great, you know, and you know, they have this authorial vision and Joss Whedon is sort of like, he sort of harpooned the idea of a, of a celebrity showrunner, um, uh, you know that 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 guy who runs the show but also writes all of the event episodes um and that's sort of what nicholas briggs is to this and the problem is that you know in the same way that moffat has the problem sometimes his episodes aren't given the uh the editing that they probably need um yeah. because he's the boss so people are afraid to say ah maybe another draft there i I, I think that's a really yeah i think that's a really good point i I think that the series do there there are a lot of similarities there um because there are are really great Stephen moppet episodes there are really great nicholas briggs episodes Mm -hmm. and then i I find a lot of times it's sort of these weird you know turning point episodes like a like a finale like this although not true of season four that's a really good one um that that can kind of uh, fall down a bit but I, I sort of never know with with Nicholas Briggs. Um, it you know it could go either way, mm-hmm. um, but when th- they're good, they're really really good. Mm-hmm. 
when they're when they're bad they're they're maybe not bad they're interesting but you're like oh i wish that they had like another month or something to work on yeah exactly exactly um so uh so so overall i think i think we quite enjoyed uh series two um absolutely i'd i'd probably call it an improvement over the first season Uh, i think so yeah. yeah Um, so, so yeah, really good stuff. And, uh, hopefully you'll be back for series three. Um, but that will be obviously on the other side of, uh, new who, um, so probably November or December ish somewhere around there. Exciting times. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Fingers crossed, right? Mm -hmm. Um, or deep breath, I guess, as the case may be. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so that's it. Thank you so much, Paul. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. Uh, why don't you uh, Why don't you tell people where they can find you? All of the many, many places they can oh, find. Oh goodness! You. Okay, so right now, uh, Fuzzy Typewriter on Twitter. That is also the name of my podcast, where we talk about story, storytellers, art, and artists. Which means we're allowed to pretty much talk about anything. Um, so we we talk about TV, we talk about books and comics, and mm-hmm. I just video listened games to all of your Planet of the Apes. Uh, stuff from 2011 so those were fine those were really those, good and i am so excited for the new planet of the apes movie <laughs> oh my I can't god oh <laughs> you that looks so good oh it looks fun i can't i can't i can't wait i just can't like as soon as i saw that poster i was just like oh give me that ape, movie ape on now. a horse ape on a horse <laughs> um and also it's so like the most recent one we did uh this is season two of orange is the new black and we tried to do it in like an hour or like an hour and a half and mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to cram you know all those characters and all of those uh, all those you know subplots into into one podcast was kind of rough, but mm-hmm. uh, but we had a good time doing it. It was so. a good one. It was dense, but it was good. Thanks. Um, what else? Um, and then uh, I fanboy podcast uh, the Pick of the Week podcast uh, each and every Sunday where we talk about the uh, the best comics of the week. Um, and then uh, Book Rageous, um, where I pop up routinely talking about the uh, the other kind of books uh, that I've been reading, and we do you know uh, a literary topic along with just sort of a, a uh, you know check in what have you what have you guys been reading? Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm at. All right. Um, if you have thoughts you want to share on uh, the stuff that we talked about, find the post of this episode on the doctorscompanion.us and leave a comment. Send us an email, uh, tdcpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure that you send in emails for our 200th episode, which is coming up very, very soon. I'm going to have the new Who Brain Trust in to answer questions and talk about whatever you want to talk about Doctor Who related. Um, If you like Joss Whedon, check out my other podcast, The Mind Robbers Versus, where my co-host Matt and I talk about every... We're talking about we're in season three of the Mind Robbers Versus now. We we covered we tackled every episode of the DC animated universe um, in season one. In season two, we tackled every episode of Veronica Mars, and now in season three, we're tackling the Joss Whedon Quadfecta, which is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, Firefly, and Dollhouse. Um, so uh, we're, we're, we're that's that. That's a lot of ground. Yeah, man. it's a lot of stuff. We're covering. <laughs> we do uh, two episodes. Um, we do two episodes of the podcast a week, and in each podcast, we talk about two episodes of the show that we're covering. So right now, we're in the middle of season two of Buffy. Um, so we we just started not too long ago, but it's been really fun revisiting, and uh, it's it's a really I'm really proud of that show. I think it's turning out great. So uh, go check that out. It's the Mind Robbers versus, um, I believe, in iTunes right now. It's listed as the Mind Robbers versus Joss Whedon. 
Um, so uh, go check that out. We're we're changing it on iTunes the way that uh, Tom versus did because um, it comes oh, nice. up. It, it it helps in search results like crazy. Um, I was surprised at how much that that helps. Um, then there's the Mind Robbers, which is my flagship podcast where Matt and I just we just talk about whatever we did over the course of two weeks. So it comes out um, biweekly. And we talk about whatever we've done, and then we have a main topic discussion, which is usually like a TV season or something like that, um, uh, or like a pilot discussion, something like that. And then we do a movie pick, and we do comic picks, and uh, all that stuff. So check that out. It's just called The Mind Robbers. Uh, and then if you're on Twitter, follow at TDC Podcasts and at Mind Robber Pod, so you'll know the second a new episode of any of my shows hit. Um, or you can follow my personal account, at Scott Corelli. And again, Paul is at, at Fuzzy Typewriter. Uh, and if you like the show, do us a favor, leave us a review on iTunes because that helps us out in search results also. Um, and, uh, of course, most importantly, be our street team. Get out there and tell everyone you know about us. Uh, if they like Doctor Who and you think that they'll like this show, then uh, then tell them to listen. Uh, next week, we'll be back with uh, Cassandra for uh, for two weeks in a row. Um, next week, we're talking about the third Doctor story, The Mutants which I am just shuddering thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a rough one. I only know about reputation. Oof, Have fun with that. Oh, God, it's rough. Uh, and it's long. Um, and then uh, after that, we're going to do The Tenth Planet, which is the first Doctor's regeneration story and the introduction of the Cybermen. Um, then Nick will be back to talk about Silence in the Library and Forest of the Dead. And that'll bring us to our 200th episode, um, which will feature Cassandra and Nick, my new Who Brain Trust, and uh, and we will be uh, we will be talking about just Doctor Who in general and whatever our emails are and all of that stuff. So, plus I'm trying to get a, a special guest for it, so we'll see if that works out. Um, fingers crossed. All right, so that's it, uh, Paul. Again, thank you, and I look forward to talking about series three with you. Looking forward to it. Thanks. All right. Bye.